Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'm your host, Randy Newman, and I am delighted uh, this week to have my good friends Ashley and Heather Holloman as my conversation partners. Ashley and Heather and, and my wife and I have known each other for a very long time, have taken some pretty long road trips together, and um, they are uh, head up a ministry called Seated and Sent Ministries. I'm going to let them tell you more about that. Um, Ashley and Heather, welcome to Questions That Matter. Thank you so much, Randy. We love being with you anytime we can be, including today. Yes, we are looking forward to this conversation. And, you know, this is one of the very first or second or third uh, podcasts we're doing as, as both video and audio. So cool. I'm, I'm doubly anxious. And for <laughs> those of you who are watching this audio, you may, maybe you're saying, didn't he used to wear glasses? Yes, um, I did. And I think I probably will be again. But right now I'm in the middle of getting some things done to my eyes and I'm, I'm not wearing glasses for the moment. I can't see anything. This is just going to be great. This is a this is a blind podcast. For those of you who are only listening, you're thinking, "Well, I'm really glad I'm not watching." It sounds terrible. Um, so, seated and sent ministries. So, here's what I want people to know right off the bat. Uh, quite a few years ago, you Heather wrote a book called Seated about our position in Christ. And then you've written several other books. And then uh, not too long ago, together, the two of you wrote a book called Sent, How We Are All Sent to Proclaim the Gospel. So the first book's on our position in Christ. And the most recent book, or, or Sent, um, is more about being uh, in, in evangelism and proclaiming the good news. I, I want to dig into how those two are woven together. But let's start with them separate just to make sure we're understanding them. What, what is it that, um, let's start with you, with Heather. What, what is it you wanted people to really grasp um, in your book, Seated? When I wrote Seated with Christ, it just struck me how much I misunderstood this image in Ephesians 2, which has become my favorite chapter in the Bible, that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And it was a summer day in late July when I was reading that passage, and I looked at that image of being seated, and of course, being the grammar uh, expert that I am at Penn State, I was really interested that it was a past tense verb. It was something that is already in part happened to us, and so I checked in with my theologian friends, my friends who knew Greek and could help me with that passage, and they said, yeah, it's a declaration of something that is already true about us in part right now. So as I was looking at that passage, I just thought, well, I do not live like a seated person. I live like someone who's trying to fight. I'm fighting for a seat at the table Ooh, that I think will okay. finally bring me life. And that day I realized I'm already seated at the best table with the greatest king. And that means that I'm completely secure. I don't have to live my life in jealousy and comparison anymore. Um, and so what I want people to learn is when they're seated with Christ, they're living the life they're supposed to be living they're set free to live out the end of Ephesians 2, 10 that says, you know, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it's a book about belonging and deep security in Christ. 
Mm, man, well said. And 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 I, I don't want you to say too much more about the book because I want people to buy the book. Um, and you you may have wrapped up too much of it, so we we, we, want, we want to just tease them. But I'm I'm really sorry. I I didn't tell you who these people are that I'm talking to, Ashley and Heather. So um, for a long time, they were with the staff of Crew Campus Crusade. That's where we got to know each other. Um, uh, now they head up this ministry, Seated in Sin. Ashley uh, gave leadership and guidance to a ministry to grad students, which was just fascinating. In fact, now that I think about it, I first met the two of you when you were grad students, right? Uh, if I remember correctly? Yep, yep. That was one of my very first things I ever did with crew as a grad student. I came to a, a day retreat and guess who was speaking? You were speaking. Randy Newman. And oh I apologize. I had to be late because I was taking an exam on a Saturday morning. I, I do grad remember school. that. And I, I'm still yeah. a little kind of bugged. Like it shows yeah, a link I, to the retreat where yeah, I'm speaking, was, but um, we'll, we'll work through that later. Um, <laughs> and, um, and Heather is an associate teaching professor of English at Penn State University. So when she said a minute ago that she was a grammarian, she wasn't just she wasn't kidding. Uh, this is what she studies, um, rhetoric and uh, composition and communication. So, um, so, so Ashley, let me, let me uh, point now to the, this, the, the latter book, uh, Scent. Um, yeah. What's that all about? Yeah. Basically, it's the, the great idea um, that, that uh, Jesus captures when he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, which is a remarkable gift. It's a remarkable opportunity. It's a remarkable um, just invitation into intimacy with Jesus, being on mission with Jesus, and being a part of the greatest thing that's happening in the course of human history, which is God is keeping his word and rescuing a people for himself. And so it's, it's the big idea that evangelism, outreach, moving into people's lives with the good news of the gospel, with the hope and love of Jesus, is far more than just what we do. It's who we are. It's part of core to our identity as believers. And it's not just something we do for God, um, though that's true. It's something we get to do with God. Hmm. And so the, the big idea behind Scent was we really wanted people to experience what we have over the last 20 years, which was um, just this incredible lifelong now adventure of being on mission with Jesus where we get to, we don't just have to share our faith, but we get to share our faith because we, we're believing that we're doing it with Jesus and he's going ahead of us and we get to run with Jesus into people's lives as he sends us to them. Mm. You know, um, uh, I remember reading your book and feeling that that enthusiasm coming through. And, and it was the enthusiasm of we're in this conversation that we're having with non-believers together with the Lord. And yeah. so it was, it, it, it pointed in the right direction, I think. So I think sometimes in evangelism, the focus is totally on us. Um, here's how we do it. Here's what we should say. Here's the words that work. Or or it's all on them. The focus is all on them. They're lost. They're going to hell. They're separated from God. Um, and um, it, it needs to be somewhat on, on ourselves and somewhat on them, but mostly on the Lord. He has sent me. He yeah. has sovereignly placed me in this relationship at this moment in time. 
and uh, and that that's what your book is is um, yeah, it, it, that that theme or that flavor or that ethos is woven all the way in. I love it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we we believe there's really. Th- a sent person believes three core things that's happening. Number one, God is always, always at work to draw people into himself. Number two, he uses people to introduce others to Jesus. That's his plan A. And then thirdly, it's an invitation. We get to do this with him. And he continuously offers us opportunities to see him at work in people's lives and allow us to be a part of it. So you're, it begins and ends with him. Um, and we have a significant part to play. And the person the people that we get sent to also get to respond, but ultimately you're right. It's about what God is doing in his world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me go back a little bit to Heather, what you were saying that you, so you said you, you, you felt like you, when, when you really dug into this word seated and that passage in Ephesians 2, you said, I don't think I was living like someone who was seated. I, I was living like someone who was was clamoring to try to get a seat at the table. Can you say more about, um, well, why don't we start with that clamoring part? What, what, well, how, what was that like? Well, what I love about this podcast right now is it really began with what you spoke about Mm. at that retreat when you talked about trying to make a name for yourself. Mm. That was what I was trying to do. And, And the way I was searching for a place at the table was really in three ways. I thought that you get a seat at the table if you are um, beautiful and attractive. Like uh, the goal was to just lose weight and be beautiful. So Mm. I was trying to find a seat at the table of appearance. The second table was affluence. I thought real life, the good life is people with money. And my job is to accumulate more and more wealth. The third way I was clamoring was what you talked about at that retreat was achievement. I was trying to make a name for myself. Um, I I thought, what's the best way I can get a seat at the cultural table of influence? And that is get a PhD. And what happened was I was really enslaved and... um, I would say I was oppressed, kind of what in Second Peter, you, you either are living according to the divine nature or you are being held captive and corrupted by the world. And so I, even though I knew Christ, I was really buying into a cultural narrative that was killing me. And so that day when I read Ephesians 2, I thought, wait a second, I'm at the best table with the greatest king. Mm. Why am I fighting for a seat at the table? What if I believed I was already there? Mm, good. Then good. what? So that day I made um, a little chart in my journal and I thought, you know, seated people don't worry about their appearance because they're so busy adoring the king. And I thought mm. of David that said, you know, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. You know, mm. he is gazing on the beauty of the Lord. And then, of course, my favorite, you know, moment in Psalm 34, those who look to him are radiant. You know, their faces are never covered with shame. The Holy Spirit just used his word to say, look, when you're seated with Christ, you're a- you're actually a marvelous, beautiful person radiating the beauty of the Lord. So, and then with affluence, I knew I had access to all the riches of God's kingdom. Hmm. And then finally, seated people don't worry about achievement, which is what you were talking about. What would it mean if instead of trying to achieve, I thought the goal of my life was to abide? a much better verb. And when you abide, the word tells us we're appointed for inevitable fruit, meaning mm. I don't need to compare it to anyone else. It's not about achievement anymore. It's about abiding to bear the fruit that God has ordained for my life. So what happened was 
a stronghold broke apart in my heart and I no longer lived in jealousy and comparison. I mean, it was so dramatic that people who know me best were, they were saying things like, Heather, yeah, what happened, what to, happened you? to you? <laughs> you have become a different person. So the word is so powerful and Ephesians 2 then sets you free to live a sent life. Mm. You know, um, I'm remembering back to that retreat. Isn't that something? Um, I don't know whether I, I had done a whole ton of undergraduate student retreats at that point, but not too many grad student retreats. And um, I, I myself had finished grad work, a master's degree at a seminary, not that far, not, not that much earlier than that. And I remember in one of my Old Testament classes, digging into the passage that I ended up preaching on, but it, it struck me in that class, we were looking at the story of the Tower of Babel, when yes. the, uh, the people said, come, um, let us make a name for ourselves. And, and just the way they were, let us make a name for ourselves. And um, that was their whole motivation. Um, we, we don't need God. We're going to make the name. And, and the shocking contrast is, well, I mean, obviously they failed, didn't work. Um, <laughs> they said, come, let us. And then uh, God says, come, let us. Interesting. He's talking about himself in the plural, mm -hmm. one of those very few spaces, spots in the Old Testament, God talking about himself Trinitarianly. I don't know if that's the right word. And I'm talking to a grammarian. So please just let's just work on that later. Um, but so um, it was come, let us go down. And, and thwart their efforts because it would be tragic if they succeeded, if they made a name for themselves. Um, then they would really be convinced that they don't need God, which is a horrible yeah. untruth. Yeah. Yeah. But then at the very, the very next chapter, God approaches Abraham. He selects Abraham and he says, I will make your name great. And the contrast mm. of name mm -hmm. and name, there's even Love some contrast it. in chapter 10 with the word, the Hebrew word for name. Um, but it's the contrast of allowing God to make your name great. And he does make all of all believers names great when he gives them a new name of saved and yeah. seated. Um, mm -hmm. So um, it was, that was a fun message for me to proclaim to graduate students because um, you know, if you if you go into grad studies or any kind of success venture, I'm going to make my name great. It's going to be oppressive. It's going to be horrible. And, it was. And, and if you succeed, it's even worse. Mm. It, it, oh, I felt that. The worst. Um, yes. Um, so, um, uh, but then, so then, so Ashley, then you had this ministry for many years with grad students. Yeah. Um, how did all this play out? Were, were you able to present this message in ways that helped uh, uh, other grad students? Oh, all the time. I mean, it, one of the um, peculiar or, you know, um, kind of tailor-made struggles for grad students is this idea of the imposter syndrome mm -hmm. of, um, you know, everyone thinks that they are the only person in their department that doesn't belong, but, and the goal is of course, is to let no one else ever find that out about you. And mm -hmm. so you have to, you have to, imp you have to be someone you aren't or don't, or you think you, someone you think you have to be, um, just so you get to stay because your name is that, you know, the idea of making a name for yourself is so important, but you're constantly fighting for that. Like, like that's the seat at the table that grad students fight for is I get to belong here. Um, I get to stay here. 
everyone gets admitted, but do I, does everyone stay? The, of course, the problem is no one tells grad students coming in that you're not the only one thinking that everyone is. Hmm. Um, and if someone would just go first and break the ice and say, I'm not sure I, you know, I, I constantly am worried about my time here. Um, everyone else will, everyone else will say, yeah, me too, me too. And so we really spent a lot of time helping our grad students just be fine with the fact that maybe they don't measure up mm -hmm. like they thought they would, or others thought they would, that they don't have to fight for that seat at the table. And then to be that person that went first, to, to be the vulnerable, because they're the, in the safe spot, they're the ones seated with Christ, they have nothing to lose. They're the ones that can actually go first with their peers who maybe don't know Jesus yet and say, you know, guys, do you ever just have to fight, you know, that feeling that you don't, you don't deserve to be here or belong here. What do mm. we do about that? So yeah, it popped up all the time in, in, in both helping our students work through it themselves as believers and then helping them um, minister to their peers um, as ones that have found a seat at the table with Jesus. We mm, do find nice. that it, it really does impact any age group, though, as we travel around, you know, people will admit they are fighting for a seat at the table in some way, or they're lamenting a loss of a seat at the table. Uh, it's amazing to me how almost every age there's this metaphorical table that they think if I got a seat there, life would really begin for me. Yeah. Mm. We here at the C.S. Lewis Institute are very excited about a new monthly publication we are launching and have launched already uh, and have sent out a few issues. Uh, in the legacy of C.S. Lewis, this new publication, which we're calling Challenging Questions, tackles subjects and issues regarding the Christian faith with a hopefully winsome and thoughtful approach to provide believers with good reasons for their faith and to provide seekers and skeptics with some food for thought. This new publication will be distributed monthly. We hope that you'll uh, share copies of it with uh, friends of yours, neighbors, colleagues, and we would love to re receive your feedback on it. Go to our website, look for challenging questions. There's also a place where you could send us uh, feedback and comments about it. Maybe you could offer some possible topics you'd like to see us address. So we really hope that this uh, resource helps you as you reach out to people who are posing challenging questions to you. So, you know, the, and um, I'm thinking as you're talking, okay, this isn't just about grad students and it isn't just about the academic world. In right. the academic world, um, when you're trying to get a job in the academic world, and once you've got a job, you're constantly having to update your CV. You do. You just have to. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you published another paper, you have to add it to the CV. Well, uh, in in other, other, wor other worlds, <laughs> in the non-academic <laughs> world, you have to keep constantly updating your resume. Um, any kind of achievement or accomplishment, you need to keep doing that. And so... Um, the, the tension for the Christian is, well, how do I do this so that it doesn't seem like I'm promoting me? Um, because in a sense, you, you are promoting you. I mean, you need to let people know. And I, I always find with people that if you can think of it in terms of a stewardship and mm -hmm. a term in terms of gratitude. So yeah. Yeah. thank you, Lord, that you enabled me to get this paper published. I'm going to put it, I'm going to add it to the CV because that's being a good steward of the gifts and abilities you gave me and the opportunities you gave me 
to publish that paper or to get that job or to. And so gratitude and stewardship replaces, I'm going to make a name for myself. And I, I think there is a kind of freedom that comes from that of, well, am I doing this because I'm trying to boast and, and you know, have the attention on me? Well, it could be, or it could be God enabled me to have these experiences. It's a legitimate and good calling. I want to be a good steward of that. I like um, that. Yeah. That's good. Um, you know, yeah. this is the C.S. Lewis Institute podcast, and so we have to quote C.S. Lewis every time. It's guaranteed. It's And here comes. I'm just kidding. We don't really have to. But he wrote a great essay called Learning in Wartime. It's in the collection of uh, essays or messages that are part of the collection of The Weight of Glory. And it was he, he gave a, a presentation to students who were studying during World War II, and there was this sense of what are we doing back here in Oxford where it's comfortable and nice and my my relatives and friends and people I grew up with are fighting and, mm-hmm. and dying and having um, a terrible experience as well. For those who are called to this academic world, it is a legitimate calling. It has its own sets of traps and pitfalls. Um, but we, but if God has indeed called us to it, we can be good stewards of that. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm doing too much talking. Um, so, so let's dig in about, uh, we've already touched on it a little bit, but I want you to say more. How do these two fit together, the seated and sent? Well, the first link came, um, and I described this in the book, that once you know you're seated with Christ, you actually are freed up with an incredible amount of energy. When you stop fighting for a seat at the table, I was amazed at how I could say, well, the next word was make myself available. You can tell I love repetition. So I'm, you know, adoring, accessing, abiding. And I thought seated people know they they really do develop a rich theology of place. Think about it. Paul is writing about He's in a Roman prison, most likely, and he's focusing on his seat in the heavenly realms with Jesus. And then he's also thinking about his ministry there, you know, in prison. And I thought, well, where am I? You know, Acts 17. And that's when Ash and I really began to see an explosion of ministry opportunities when we exclusively devoted ourselves to the one mile radius around our home because of this idea of a theology of place. So we saw um, in total eight people pray to receive Christ over the years, and we just made ourselves available to them and really believe that seated people, they look around the table and they think, who isn't Mm. seated with me? Who can I go and now get to come and have a seat at the table? So that really began um, us living out the the scent mindset. And Mm. so the reason why the book came about was we were living out of of our identity of being seated with Christ. And one summer I was reading the book of John and I noticed that the number one way Jesus describes the father in the book of John is the father who sent me Mm. over and over again. He's calling this identity to mind. And I really thought it was so instructive. What would my life look like if I called to mind my sent identity the way Jesus did? So it's astonishing in John 20, 21, when he says, as the father has sent me, so I send you. That's when Ash and I began to get serious about cataloging what it means to live a sent life and helping others on this supernatural adventure with Jesus. So when you're seated, you're secure enough to then go live a sent life. Well, yeah. And I can jump in. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And you're also not just secure enough, but you, 
I think you realize how, well, at least I can speak for myself, how much time I spent mind space wise, literally time working and angst, worrying about my future. Yeah. Worrying about Your like, seat. was I, wasn't, it wasn't just the imposter syndrome. It was like, no, I actually might not make it through this program. So it's not just like a mm -hmm. mind game. It actually might be that I don't, it doesn't work out. But when I realized more and more that, you know, Jesus has, I'm seated at the greatest table with the greatest king and all that Heather already talked about that it means to be seated, including that he's already prepared good works in advance for us to do, that I don't have ultimately, because my life is in God's hands, I don't have to worry about all that much. And then it struck me, well, so then what am I going to think about? Yeah. What am I supposed what am I, to do What here? am I going to do <laughs> yeah. with all this with free time yeah. and all this free mental space and emotional space and energy that I have given so much of to just almost like self-preservation. preservation, And it's like, well, we're blessed to be a blessing. Who else needs to know this? And it really freed me up for the first time to take my eyes off myself and not just put them on Jesus, but also put them on the people around me uh, and, and move towards them. You know, I want to underline that phrase that you've both now quoted several times from Ephesians 2.10, mm -hmm. um, the works that God prepared beforehand for us to do. Mm -hmm. It is mm -hmm. a very, very different mindset, feel, uh, set of emotions between on the one hand is, okay, what is it I want to do? What is it that I want to accomplish? Um, what, what is God calling me to do? as opposed to what is it that God has already prepared yeah. for me to do? That it becomes a, uh, Lord, what are the doors that you've already opened or that you are opening? Which, which doors do you want me to walk through? And on the other side of that door are there, those are the people you've prepared for me to talk to. Those are the tasks you've called me to. And, and um, that's the job you've called me to that is going to bring glory to you, even if, if it's hard for me to see how that is. How, how is it that in my business job or my teaching job, teaching kindergarten kids or um, making things with my hands, how, those are things you've called me to do and you've prepared ahead of time. It's, it's yeah. a very different, um, again, it's an energy that comes from the Lord instead of I've got to come up with this energy. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and tell them about led, not driven. Well, yeah, that's, that's other, what Heather's referring to is this idea that are we going to be led by the spirit or driven by our own ambition or fears or whatever, um, or opportunities. So that's one of the, when early on, when we, when we came on staff with crew and started putting a team of people that would pray for us, uh, and, and, and give to the ministry, we had a, a person who has just a gift of prayer. And she goes, I'm praying one thing for you among others that you'd be led and not driven. And, <laughs> and it's sorry. our family it's motto. Our, our family motto. You're led and not driven. And you begin to feel the difference because yeah. mm. oh the Holy spirit, it's a, it's a gentle, joyful leading. Whereas I feel like the flesh and the enemy, it's always a driving, frantic, chaotic feeling for me. You know how it says the, the sheep know my voice, like you know the voice of the shepherd? I would say the voice of the shepherd feels like you're being led, not driven. And so <laughs> as I'm getting older, I know what the driving yeah. thing feels like. And when I'm driven, 
it feels like exhausting work. It mm, usually was, doesn't bear good fruit. Hmm. It usually, there's all these symptoms. It's like Galatians 5. You just see it play out. The fruit of the flesh hmm. is obvious, but we love- And you have, to, you have right? to stop and ask yourself, do I honestly believe I can do a better job <laughs> leading my life than the God of the universe? Right. Do I honest, honestly- Because that's the way I'm living. Do I honestly believe that? If I do, well, I probably- should evaluate that. And if I don't, I should, I, I, right. And if I don't believe that, well, maybe I should rest in that, yes. that, that the God of the universe who made me and the world I live in can do this better than I can. Okay. God, like you were saying, Randy, what do you have for me today? Um, I, I laughed and, and my laughter was a nervous, uncomfortable laughter because there, there's a step for me, in, in, that in in there, and it's the it's the step of repentance and confession, because <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Hey, hey, now it's, you're not allowed to laugh at that. Um, uh, if I'm honest, there are times that I do think I'm. See, I can't even say it out loud. I can't even say it out loud. Yeah. It's so it's yeah. so idolatrous. But I I do think. I, I feel like I could do a better job of leading my life, which is a horrible oh, yeah. thing to say. Um, but but it, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible thing that was paid for on the cross. And so that's what sets me free of the idolatry of me, of making a name for myself. Whereas, okay, Lord, no, I, 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 I relinquish this. In, uh, impulse, impulse is too light, it's too mild, demand to lead my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, led versus driven. You're exactly right. When you when you said the word exhausting, yeah, driven. I mean, you're just saying the word feels exhausting. <laughs> so <laughs> It's exhausting. Uh, well, we think about it a lot. The next project Ash and I are talking, are thinking about is really talking about what we've learned from that phrase and surrender. And, and the irony because God is so kind and so wonderful. Like when you surrender these things and agree to be led, he often leads you to the very things that you thought you wanted, but now they're redeemed in some way and they don't mm. have a snare in your soul. And then you can yeah. really enjoy them for what they are. Yeah, um, right. You know, like I earned yeah. the PhD, but it didn't mean anything other than I can love students and get to teach them. Mm. You know what yeah. I mean? I still, yeah. I got the book published, but it didn't mean anything other than now I get to talk to more people and be grateful and worship God. So he, yeah. he is so good to us. He, he is careful with the dreams of our heart because mm-hmm. usually even in the most sinful things, there might be an element of something good there that is sure. put in there by God. So right. I don't know how many yeah. of you, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so let's. Um, I, I, uh, this is fun for me, and um, but we need to wrap it up soon. I, I want to just finish on your, your ministry. Now is a whole lot of uh, training people in evangelism. You go to churches, you go to ministries, you equip people and help them help them see what it means to be seated, and then help them see. Okay, now how if I'm being sent, where am I being sent, and what does that look like? So I. I, I don't know if you can answer this question. What are you seeing there as you're as you're equipping and training people? So I'm, I'm not asking what do you tell them. It's what what are how are you what are you observing as people are on the receiving end of this training? 
Well, something that struck me this week is um, a reader emailed us and said, okay, I'm ready to do this. Which five Bible verses should I memorize? Okay. And I said, no, no. And she asked, what, what ones do you memorize for your stories? And I said to her, what would be better is if you chose the five passages of Scripture that God has used most powerfully in your life to heal or comfort you, hmm. and then tell the story of God's powerful work in your life through his word. And I said, here are my five stories of transformation. I talked about Ephesians 2. I talked about some of the other passages God has used in my life. Well, she wrote back basically telling me that not only does she not know the word, she doesn't read it. She doesn't have oh. stories of God's transformative work in her life. So what Ash and I are finding, especially as he does this incredible storytelling workshop, is how Evangelism becomes really difficult if you don't have anything to share about your friend, <laughs> Jesus. But if you have things mm. to share about him, it's so easy. Hmm. And Ash, you know, yeah. Ash is, yeah, aren't you? That's what I'm finding. Yeah, yeah. I can, yeah. I can tell you from the other thing that makes me really super grateful and excited. Um, Heather's the extrovert. She's the one that has a natural gift of evangelism. The we can go into this another time because it's a longer story, but part of why I wrote or the reason why I wrote this book with her is because I'm the introvert who doesn't yeah. have the gift of evangelism, but yeah. I've seen God use me by his gracious right. kindness for years. Right. And to communicate that and to see the light bulbs go on yeah. and to see people who probably from 20, 30 years have only associated evangelism with guilt, shame, I could have, I should have, I never did with now I Believe, I can do I this. I can yeah. do this and yeah. I get to do this. Yeah. And there's nothing holding me back. And God's going ahead of me and I'm joining him in it. Just to see that whole mindset shift in what evangelism is and what they get to be a part of, that they don't have to stay on the sidelines, but they can jump into the game. I, I, I love that every time that we see people get that. And because I know they are now moving towards a life of greater joy greater intimacy and greater purpose and their friends are going to come to know Jesus. And I don't know anything better, you know, yeah, yeah, to, to want for a person than those things. Oh, that's really good. That's so good. Um, uh, I, I know, you know, this and quite a few of our listeners have heard me say, I, I've done a whole lot of study of listening to people's stories, hearing their stories of conversion. And so many, many, many people tell me about an ordinary Christian who was a good friend, who shared the gospel, who kept listening to me, and they were not extroverts. They were not public speakers. They were not flashy. They were ordinary people who said things to them like, hmm, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Let me think about it. And God uses the ordinary, even though we're we're in a culture that celebrates the the the, the superstars. Um, in in God's structuring of His kingdom, He uses the ordinary. And um, so maybe that's a good place for us to draw this to a close. Any last thoughts you want to share about seated and well, sent? I just wanted to affirm that because I get to observe Ashley when we're out with couples who don't know Christ, he he recently just asked the most thoughtful, 
spirit-led question, whereas me being the extrovert and I just roll over people in conversation. I just control everything where Ash really did have the question that unlocked a great spiritual conversation uh, with this couple. So the like you said, the ordinary friend who asks good questions and listens, I get to observe that with Ash pretty much every but I, day. But I will say this too, and I know we're like the husband and wife are doing like the complimentary thing now. What? but. <laughs> The first, per- the person who got me excited about evangelism, besides the Holy Spirit, was Heather. Because I was because she yeah. was doing it, yes. and she was taking great steps, and she had this energy and enthusiasm about her that was just, and still is, so contagious. And so, yeah, we, we need all yeah. all kinds. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be um, like, Ash, you're coming over to Joe's house. We're going to talk about Jesus okay, today, okay. and Eric will be there. Come on, Bra- <laughs> so, bra- yeah. brace yourself. I was like, okay. Um, so it was all right. It was yeah. Good. So that's my final thought. God needs all of us. Yeah. Well, this is great fun. This is really, really great. And um, uh, we're going to have some uh, show notes underneath this, um, things connecting. Uh, Heather has uh, her own website, um, uh, heatherholloman.com. Uh, is that right? Did I say that right? Yes. Soon, soon there's going to be a seated and sent uh, .com, .org, .something .com. website. Yeah. Um and uh, we'll also have links about the books because these are really, really helpful tools for people. So um, thanks for listening. We're, we're, we hope this podcast and all of the resources that we provide at our website, the cslewisinstitute.org website, um, are really helpful for you as you pursue discipleship of the heart and mind and as you seek to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Thanks.